The uniqueness of Jesus, you saw in the reading that I did out of Matthew that the name Jesus kept coming up over and over again. As we begin, for those of you that came in after the, the opening of the service this morning, I want to, on behalf of the staff and Fellowship Bible Church, to wish you and your family, family a blessed and indeed Merry Christmas. A good number of people around the world today still know the Christmas story. That is true. Even though <clears throat> the story itself has been so inundated with both truth and error, still people are familiar, for the most part, that some event took place in some of the things. When I say truth, for example, Jesus did come to earth historically. He was born in a city called Bethlehem. There was indeed a special star, and contrary to what might be said about it, this was a miraculous star, just by the language that was used in scripture. There were wise men that did come to visit the Christ child. That is just some of the things that are true. There's also some misconceptions, and it may squash some of your thinking here today, but there was no little drummer boy that was there. We don't know that there were three kings. That is guesswork on the part of anybody, because the scriptures don't reveal how many. The nativity scene, often as we talk about decorations, and you talk about Christmas, and there's usually an emphasis in even the nativity scene to uh, not discourage you in any way, but to tell you the reality, because it's my responsibility to tell you the truth. The nativity scene is not accurate whatsoever, because uh, it was really a trough that the Lord was put in. Uh, there is no evidence that the animals came and gathered around there, or that the wise men arrived while he was in that particular state. The shepherds did. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that's even mixed in things that we enjoy, even by way of decorations. Yet, again, the Christmas story itself is well enough known. However, we know that we're also moving ahead in time, and it is not politically correct to say some things. In fact, people get offended by the concept of Christmas or saying it, and many times people will say happy holidays to cover everything rather than Christmas. I found it rather interesting. I'll just share this brief thing with you uh, that happened this past week. I was absolutely excited. I've been an official that is referee in a number of capacities for a long time now. And something happened for the first time I ever saw. The head of the NCAA Department of Officiating sent out, as a result of what happened in Connecticut, but sent out an opening paragraph in his annual statement to all the referees in the country, an opening statement regarding the birth of Jesus Christ, wishing a Merry Christmas, and said the Christmas story to which I delighted when I saw it. And as I expected, there was a response to him from a number of officials throughout the country who were offended by what he said. And to my surprise, what I learned in his response was that 
the man graduated from seminary. And uh, he was just saying that everybody knows the Christmas story, and the Christmas means it's about Christ. And his response, he apologized for those who were offended, but not for what he said. And I was, I was excited about that. But at any rate, politically, we have to be careful. And unfortunately, because of the political correctness, fewer and fewer are hearing about the story. And uh, what is happening uh, with that is some children don't even know the tra traditional Christmas story as we even know it. Co commercialism and certainly the media today have made Christmas time <clears throat> a festive time, but primarily for one reason, and that's the dollar bill. Primarily for spending money and helping them to make profit. And that is a reality of life. But as we deal with that, I still want to say to you that I personally believe it is a great opportunity for Christians to spread the gospel. It's a time of year in which Christmas is at least spoken of. And even places, uh, last night we saw there's a place in Japan that they don't believe in Christmas, yet they celebrate it. And it, I found that kind of interesting uh, and so forth. So it is a great opportunity for us, no matter whether you celebrate it or you don't. But that is not what I really want to focus on today, as you can tell from the title of my message. The question is, why is it so special? What's so special about the concept of Christmas, or the concept of Jesus coming? Babies are born every day, all over the world. In fact, not only are babies born, but in the reality is that if we go back in history, all we take today, and I don't know who that might be at this moment, but famous babies are born. There have been famous babies in the past. For example, if you think of our own country, there was a time in which George Washington came into the world, and that is a special occasion now as we look back on it. And if you want to talk about presidents, how about Abraham Lincoln and so forth, and people still celebrate that. But let me bring it home to you. There was a special day that you were born, and we celebrate that. You say, when? Well, you have a birthday, and as you get older, you don't want to remember them. But at any rate, it's a celebration. And it is a special occasion because that's when you were born. Okay? And we celebrate it. And, and uh, times come and times go for celebration. But this one, the birth of Jesus Christ, truly is and was and will always be unique. Now let me explain what I mean by that term, because as I mentioned last week very briefly uh, to you, we abuse this word unique. Well, let me make it simple by dictionary, both paperback that I looked at and internet that I looked at. So I got it both soft copy and hard copy. But it all came to the same thing. And let me tell you how the word unique is defined and then we'll talk about Jesus Christ. Here it is. The word unique means this. The only one. The word means soul, not S-O-U-L, but S-O-L-E. Soul, one. We still don't get it. It means without a like. There is nothing 
Not some things maybe, but nothing else like that. Nothing. We still don't get it. The last one that I picked up was without an equal. There is nothing equal to this event, or nothing equal to this person, or nothing equal to whatever it is. And I found it rather fascinating, again, in both sources, that one of the things appropriate to this time, though we don't have it right now, that was used as an example of uniqueness was snowflakes. And they said, if you take a snowflake, now I believe it, and I've seen them, uh, but I've never seen all the snowflakes that have ever fallen. However, it is usually pointed out that a snowflake is unique and there are no two alike. That gets me the picture. Nothing else like it. There's nothing else. There are other snowflakes, but there's nothing like that particular one. Well, when we come to the celebration as Christians, we celebrate Christmas as the birth of Jesus Christ, the, what is known as the incarnation, the incarnation, the coming into the flesh. That's all that word incarnation means, which is truly unique. The birth of Jesus Christ is truly unique. There is no equal. There is nothing like it. It is the only one if you will. We can talk about like that. <clears throat> well, we want to consider some things this morning as to what makes it unique. If that's true, and there's nothing like this, and even as Kurt talked this morning, you know, whether this is the time of year and so forth, and I won't deal with, I have done in past messages, but this is not for this morning as to even the timing, whether that's real. We celebrate as Christians the coming of Jesus into the world which was unique. Why? Why is it unique? In what ways are it unique? Well, let's consider some of them this morning. The outline is before you, and the text is before you in Matthew chapter 1. I tell you this morning that the first reason it is unique is because of his conception. Because of his conception. Look with me at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Watch. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When, Mary, his, when his mother Mary had been betrothed, or as we saw in another reading, engaged, we don't use that term, but the betrothal was a little different, to Joseph, before they came together, that is, no sexual relations, very clearly, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, because it was thought that there was some other means, planned to send her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. That text is pretty plain and clear. That cannot be said of anyone else. The conception of this child was not human seed, very simply put. This was a virgin. Now, unfortunately, today in many marriages, it is not a virgin that's getting married. But we understand what that is. 
They didn't have, she didn't have any relations. This was not of human seed. Now I want to point this out to you because it's important. Mary herself knew and said that she was a virgin. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter one? Luke chapter one. Anyone could say it, but she clearly knew. Luke chapter one, just a couple of verses. Verse 30. It says, then this is talking to Mary, he announces it. And the angel said to her, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have been found, with, found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and very consistent with Matthew, shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now watch verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? I cannot be conceiving in my womb. I have never had relations. It couldn't be any clearer. No one else can say this. Now it's interesting. A number of religions throughout the world still accept Jesus at least as maybe a prophet, or at least as maybe a special person, or a man to be looked up to. Listen, his birth is unique. In what way? That the conception itself was of the Holy Spirit. Mary knew it. And back in our text in Matthew, Joseph knew it because he wanted to put her away. He didn't want to embarrass her. He knew it wasn't his child, and he was clearly told, and certainly God knew it and made it very clear that not only she was a virgin and not of human seed, but it specifically said in verse 20 back in Matthew chapter 1 that that which is conceived is of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. The conception is of the Holy Spirit. That is that it is of God. And we just read it in Luke chapter 1 as well. So when we talk about it, the uniqueness, there has never been another person like this. There have been ladies that have gotten married, and at the time they got married, they were a virgin, and then had a child later, okay? But it became of a human seed. Not in this case. In this case, he is the only one that ever was, he's the only one that ever will, that came into this world and was conceived where a woman carried the child, but the child itself was conceived of God, not of man. That is unique. No one else can make that claim ever. Not only that, it was verified by God himself and verified by an angel. Who else would you want to verify it? You can get no greater person to verify that than God himself. So he's definitely unique in that his even conception is unique. He was born of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, go back to Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He's unique in his person. He's unique in his person. Look at 22 and 23. It says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, and there it is again, the virgin shall be with child, so it's fulfilling prophecy, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Pardon me, what does that mean? Well, he tells us, which is translated, watch, 
God with us. Was he fully a man? Yes. He was born physically. If you look at chapter 2 in our responsive reading, it says there was a child that was born. The child was wrapped in clothes. It was a physical being. If we look at the scriptures and study history, stay with me, he grew up as a child. He grew in stature, became a man, okay? He talked, he ate, he felt pain. He was hit, he bled real blood. He was crucified and all of that is documented historically. So that part of it was not unique. He, he lived as a man. He grew as a man. He was seen physically. He talked. He spoke, yes. But he was also God. That's unique. This is God with us. That could not have been said of me. Now, our world confuses that a little bit and says there's God in all of us. God has created us all in his image and likeness. And we're all the product of God in that sense. But this one was unique in that his conception was of the Holy Spirit. And when he came in, this was literally God with us. Number one, he was able to do miracles. Now, we've studied that. I can't do those miracles. You can't do those miracles. He was able to change water into wine. He was able to take a man who had been blind from birth and give him eyesight. He was able to take his friend who had been dead for four days, his body began to decay and stunk. And he was able to simply speak and give him life and take him out of the grave. Only God can do that. He was able to take a storm and in the midst of the storm, stand there and say, peace be still, and the wind stopped immediately. Not a day later, not five seconds later. Immediately, even the winds obey his voice. Why? Because he created it. This was God. And we see that, by the way, with the miracles, the miracles were witnessed by his enemies. And even his enemies, now if you and I did something and we had an enemy, they would try to disprove it. The enemies of Jesus Christ specifically said, we can't deny what he's doing. But what are we going to do with them? How do we get rid of this guy? Why, they couldn't even deny the miracles. The evidence was too overwhelming. And they testified to it. Not only was he a man that did miracles, but his titles bear out that he's God. He said, I am that I am. Before Abraham was, while present on the earth as a man, he said, behold, I am. Well, you're not yet 55 years of age. How can you say that? That you're older than Abraham. Listen, before he was here, I was here. Why? I created it all. Excuse me. He went on to say, I am the bread of life. He went on to say, I am the light of the world. He went on to say that I am the door. He went on to say that I am the good shepherd. He went on to say that I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He went on to say that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the father but by me. Only he could claim that. You can't. I can't. No other prophet that came into the world can claim that. No other person that people look up to as their leader in religion 
can claim those things. They can't claim that they created it all. He can. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, I and the Father are one. So it was made clear. So when we talk about his person, was he a man? Yes. Was he God? Yes. And if you still don't have it, he is the only one, and what makes him unique in his person, he is the one and only, ever has been, ever will be, the only God-man. The only one. The only one. In the New Testament, he said this. We studied it in John 14. Philip, when you see me, you have seen God. That's what he said. He said that he thought it not equal to be, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he is. Philippians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says this. He is the fullness, get this, the fullness of deity in bodily form. That's clear. In other words, you want to see what God would look like if he was a man? Take a look at Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and he is a man in the flesh, but it is God-man. It is what God looks like in the flesh. Hebrews chapter 1 says that he is the radiance of God's glory. And then he goes on in Hebrews 1 to say that he is the exact image. If you wanted an imprint of what God is, it's Jesus Christ. So the scriptures clearly say. This is unique. When we come to Christmas time and we're talking about Jesus Christ, it isn't just for singing carols. It isn't just for talking about any birth. It's talking about a unique one. And we have something to celebrate. God left his glory and came into this world to take on flesh. Even the Old Testament says the same thing. It says, listen, it's quoted, we already read it. According to Isaiah, a virgin shall be with child. A virgin shall be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9 puts it this way. Unto us is born this day what a child. A child shall be born. What's his name really going to be? Listen. A mighty God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is man, a child, and God. It's unique. This is a unique celebration. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. Who is that? Someone who was born uniquely because he was conceived uniquely. Someone who was born uniquely because his person is that he's the only God-man that ever was. There is none like him, never will be like him. All the religions of the world can search it out, and they're not going to find anyone like him ever. No one else can make that claim. Only Jesus Christ. Thirdly, his purpose. This celebration that we have 
It's for someone who was uniquely conceived, unique in a person, and unique in his purpose. And folks, this is the key to our celebration. It's not just for a celebration. It's not just to have a holiday. This isn't just to get a day out of work to celebrate Christmas. It isn't just to give gifts. But it's the reason. And this is what man desperately needs to hear. Of everything else in this message, this is the key if you haven't stayed with me yet this morning. His purpose is found in verse 21, Matthew 1, 21. She shall bear a son, there it is, you shall call his name Jesus. Why pick that name? Well, he tells us. Because Jesus means to save. For he will save his people from their sins. His purpose in coming is unique from any other child that has ever been born. What is that? It is redemption. It is salvation. We rejoice at this time of the year celebrating his coming in because he came for a purpose, and that purpose is unique. No other men have come into this world for that reason. They might claim it. They might say that they do this and they do that. But there is only one person and only one that could ever come in to redeem, to purchase, to buy out man from their sins. And listen, this is what the world doesn't want to hear. Why? Because we are all sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that includes everyone in this pew, me, everyone in this neighborhood, everyone that's ever lived in the past, everyone that's ever going to live in the future, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. The only exception was Jesus Christ. There's none righteous, Romans chapter 3 says. No, not one. That came from Psalm 14, when it said in verses 2 and 3 that God looked down from heaven to see if there was any that were righteous, any that were holy. And you know what the summarization of it was? No, not one. As he looked down on man. We don't think of that. The wages of sin is death. And, you know, even a Christmas message, Pastor Dan, why do you want to talk about this? Because that's the point that the world doesn't want to hear. And that's what they don't want to reflect on. And yet, we know that that is the problem. People want to excuse. I'm going to make this very practical for you, I hope. I just had this conversation with someone this past week. God opened an opportunity to talk to somebody. And I said, what man doesn't want to hear is that he's a sinner. We excuse everything that we do. It's my upbringing. It's my parents' fault. It's the environment's fault. If I didn't get brought up in this city, in that environment, I wouldn't be the way I was and am. Now listen, your parents have an influence in your life. Your environment does have an influence in your life. But none of that excuses or changes the reality that you and I are sinners. I've heard enough talk about Connecticut. I've prayed for that a number of times. And we should and pray for those victims and so forth. 
and I've listened carefully to some reports. And you know what? I have not heard one report yet that said what the problem with that young boy was. I've heard the psychological exams. I've heard the parents. I've heard the disease that he had and all of that. Am I saying that those things aren't part of the guy's life? Absolutely not saying that. But the, no one is saying what the problem was. He was a sinner. And he consciously knew where he was going, how to get in a window, who he was looking to kill, where they were, had a conversation, asked some questions, and knew exactly what he was doing, and he was a sinner. And he's not the first one to do that. In Matthew chapter 2, we talk about the Christmas story. Right after this situation, we're in Matthew, look at chapter 2, verse 16. And when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the magi of the wise men, he became very enraged, and he sent and slew all the males who were in Bethlehem and all the vicinity from two years old and under. He killed people younger than this boy killed. That wasn't the first time that's happened, and it won't be the last. And it's horrendous. Listen, it's terrible. No question about it. It's abominable. But it's the result of a sinner. And you can have a king doing it or a 20-year-old doing it. But it's the same thing. The problem is sin. And that's what people don't want to talk about. I found it interesting to make it very practical to you. And I'm saying all of this so you understand. Why this special birth? Why do we have a celebration? Why do we talk about Jesus coming? Because the purpose of his coming was to redeem the likes of you and I and Herod and this boy. And nobody wants to talk about sin. And you're not going to find salvation if you don't realize you're a sinner. I happened to read the Eagle Tribune this week. If some of you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. It was Wednesday's paper, to be specific. And on the front page of the paper, there was an article dealing with a pediatrician who is being dealt with in the area of child pornography. Whether the man's guilty or not, I don't know. I'm not talking about that. But that was the front page of the news. I turned over two pages, for those of you who might have seen it. And on page four of the paper, there were five different headlines. And every single one of the headlines dealt with people that were involved in child pornography. Some were lawyers, politicians, adults, young person, and the front page was a doctor. If that isn't enough spread for you to get the picture, it doesn't matter whether it's a king like Herod. It doesn't matter whether it's a doctor. It doesn't matter whether it's a teacher. And it happened not to be clergy, but I'm going to tell you, clergy are involved in that stuff as well. Why? Because men are sinners and women are sinners. Stop beating around the bush and get to the issue or you won't understand why Jesus had to come. We are sinners and in desperate need of salvation. And only Jesus and no one else, no religion, Christianity as a religion can't save you. 
no religion, no one else. Jesus' birth is unique, and Jesus is unique because he not only was conceived uniquely, he not only was different in his personhood uniquely, but in the purpose of his coming, he is the only one that can redeem us and buy us out of our sin. That is why Jesus said, I am the one and only way. No one can come to the Father who I represent in the exact likeness. No one can come to him but by me. And my friend, if you die, and you will, why? Because you are a sinner and you don't believe and accept that Savior, you will not be in the presence of God for all eternity. However, what Christ offers is salvation, and it's eternal. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. I'm just going to read a couple of quick verses to you, but Ephesians chapter 1, you can turn, you don't have to turn, but 1, 7 says this, in him, that is Jesus Christ, we have redemption. That's where we have it. How does it happen? Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. How? According to the riches of his grace. It's the riches of his grace. Hebrews chapter 9. I'll read this very quickly. Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 14 says this. Follow along as I read it. 9, 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through the blood of, through his own blood, excuse me. He entered into the holy place, now listen, once for all, having obtained, now listen to this, eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes and a heifer sprinkling those who had been defiled sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It could not be any plainer. His purpose was to redeem. His purpose is to save. You need salvation and so do I. And he uniquely can provide it. No one else can. No religion can. And I end with this. We celebrate Christmas because of the uniqueness of Jesus, not only in his conception, not only in his personhood, and not only in the fact that his purpose was to come to redeem. That's why he went to the cross and he bore our sins, and then he rose from the grave, but it's also in his offer. In verse 21 there again, you notice again that it, it is through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God with us, that he came to save. And it's literal because it says this, and I will translate it literally. He, and she said he bare a son, and he himself. That is a very accurate translation. He himself will save. Why? 
He's the only one that can. And he offers it. Religion and man, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter what religion on the face of the earth, if you examine all of them and took the time to look at them close, their view of salvation, if they even recognize the need of salvation, boils down to this. It's something that you earn. It's something that you have to work for. And it's something that you hope you can obtain if you do certain rules and follow certain things, but you really can't know for sure. And somehow, in some way, maybe you can win God's favor. That is not what Jesus Christ offered. Jesus Christ offered, listen carefully, free salvation at his own expense. It's free. It's a gift, very appropriate at Christmas time. It is a gift, but it was a very costly one. We know the verse well. John 3.16, for God. How much did he love you? He so loved the world. Now listen, that he gave, that's a gift, his only begotten son, monogenes, unique. His only begotten son. For what purpose? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is belief. It is received through faith. Romans 3, I will read it to you. Listen carefully, though, just so you get it clear. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 24, it says these words. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. In verse 28, it says this. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works. It's got nothing to do with works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Most of you could probably quote it for me, but listen carefully. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this. For by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one can boast. No one can boast and say, I did it. God offers the free gift. You know, we have a lot to celebrate. Christmas is appropriate to take the time to reflect on the birth of Christ because had he not entered into the world, we would have no hope from our sin. Had he not entered the world, there would be no redemption provided. Had there not been a substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf, there would be no hope. And we can't earn it, but God loved us so much, and he offers it through his son, and you say, there's the trick, Pastor Dan, then I just have to have faith. You have to have faith in everything that you do. And you either have faith in your brothers and sisters, or your religion, or you have faith in something somewhere along the line, and God says, place your faith in me because I have the solution. And let me finish with this. 
It's not just a head knowledge. Now, get this one. The person I had the opportunity to talk about, and we get into Connecticut, and we were talking about that, and I was sharing with him some of what I just shared with you. And I talked about how sinful man is and why we need redemption. And then I talked about Christ. He said, you know, I believe that. I've been taught that all my life. Let me share something with you. So was I before I came to know Christ. So it's not just knowing the Christian story. It's not knowing the Christmas story. You can know all the facts that you want to know, and you're no better off than the devil. Because the devil knows who Jesus Christ is, but he trembles. There are a lot of people that know the story. There are a lot of people that are sympathetic to it. But if you really want a picture of how salvation works, let me give you one last verse. Go with me to Luke 18. It's the contents of one's faith that makes the difference. And what Jesus offers is salvation free. But the only way you obtain it is just like this. What better picture, Luke 18, verses 13 and 14. There was a, a tax collector standing some distance away. I'll let you look at the context on your own if you're not familiar with it. He was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. What did he do? He beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's all he said. You see, it's not some magical formula. That's true humility. That is true faith. That is someone that says, I deserve nothing. I can't earn anything. And recognizing that, yes, God, I am a sinner. I'm not going to excuse my parents, my social upbringing, the disease, what I ate last night, or anything else. And that's our society. No one's at fault with anything. And what God says, every one of you are at fault in disobeying me. And you simply come to him as a humble sinner and say, God, be merciful to me. And then receive. Take that gift of salvation. You want a great Christmas gift? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you look at verse 14. I tell you, this man went to the house justified rather than the other. Who's the other? In the context, it was a man that says, I've done great things. I tithe. It'd be, it'd be like a, someone saying, I believe the Christmas story. I pray. I read my Bible. I go to church. I do this and I do that. And God says, and you do and you do and you do and depart from me. I never knew you. What? Because it's not what you do. It's what you receive. It's who you receive. And it's the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Because only he was born of a virgin. Only he is the full God-man. Only he came for the purpose of God to redeem lost man. And it is only he, not Fellowship Bible Church, not Pastor Dan, not any religion on the face of the earth that offers you salvation. It is Jesus Christ 
who's paid it all, that offers it to you as a gift. When you take it by faith and receive it, inside that package is the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. The greatest Christmas gift that you can ever have is to receive God's gift of his son to you. And if you're sitting in that pew today, I will guarantee you one thing, you're gonna die. And I'll guarantee you a second thing, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you'll have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And I'll guarantee you a third, if you don't, you will spend eternity in hell and regret having ever heard this message because you didn't believe on the only one, the unique one sent by God and his provision for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the love that you had for us, for the uniqueness of your son, conceived of a virgin, come into the world as God with us, the only man, God-man, with a purpose to redeem us, to buy us out of the bondage of sin through a sinless sacrifice that was nailed to a cross, that was resurrected from the dead and even got victory over the grave, and now offers as a free gift salvation to all who would believe. And Father, as we come to this time of year and celebrate Christmas, those of us that truly know the blessings of salvation, might we never take for granted this celebration. Might we truly celebrate it in a way that honors you and give the message of salvation to others. For those who have not yet received your gift, we pray right here in this room, right here in this pew, that you would open up their hearts, that today they would receive the gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins and eternal life by simply coming not just with intellectual knowledge, but as a person who humbly asks for mercy and admits they're a sinner before you and accepts the free gift found in your son. Help them to believe right now. Thank you for this time. We pray that you would bless tonight as we share in this neighborhood. And might you be exalted in it all. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.